Am I not allowed to do what I chose, choose to do with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear Lola, and to all the baptized, you were born with sin, but that is washed away. God is not mad at you. You have been crucified and raised with Christ Jesus, who is your Lord. That is the gift that baptism brings. Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. That is what the Lord Jesus has delivered to you today and to all of us in our baptism. A a newness of life that will never grow old, that will never end. Because with, with Jesus, what is new is also eternal. And we rejoice with you as well, Lola, because you are our sister in Christ, because we too are baptized with you. If, by the way, you're not baptized, then talk to me after the service and we can get that fixed up. And this baptism that the Lord Jesus gives to all of us is more than a one-time event. It is for us, the Lord's Christians, an ongoing reality. It's similar in this way to being married. We talked about this, uh, Matt and Laura, the other day. Imagine if you ask some fellow, are you married? And he's thinking about his wedding day, the, the event of his marriage. And he says to you, I was married. You know what happens? (laughs) His wife leans over and uh, gives him a little Jolt, I was married. No, I am married. See? And this is how it is with our baptism as well. It's not, I was baptized. It is, I am baptized. This is true for all of the Lord's children. Being baptized is an ongoing reality for us, a daily reality. And this is important because we are daily fighting against the flesh. And daily fighting against the devil. Now it's true that our sinful flesh is drowned in our baptism and dies in our baptism. But as Luther reminds us, remember this, the old Adam, the sinful flesh is a good swimmer. (laughs) He must be daily drowned. He must daily die. But I have a question for you. What if you don't feel the weight of your own sinful flesh? that you're hauling around, that's tempting you and dragging you towards sin. For you, we have the gospel text appointed for this day that does a a marvelous job exposing our own sin. For each one of us, our sinful flesh has a doctrine or a teaching. it's It's a native theology that we just believe. I've never seen anyone uh, that compiled a list of this belief or anyone, uh, and I think we probably should work on this so we can have a creed of the sinful flesh so we know exactly what our sinful flesh believes. Uh, We can work on that together. But here are a few things that our sinful flesh always believes and holds on to. Number one, our sinful flesh always believes that I'm pretty good. 
Number two, our sinful flesh believes that God is pretty nice. Number three, this one's a little subtle. Our sinful flesh believes that conviction is manifest in the creation of new rules. That is to say, if you want to show how religious or spiritual you are, you just invent new laws. But fourth, and finally, and perhaps the most pernicious of all of our flesh's doctrine is this. If God is mad at my sin, then it must be that he's happy with my good works. If God is mad at my sin, he must be happy with my good works. Now, there's more to this. Some Maybe someday we'll get at all the doctrines of the sinful flesh and we'll put them together. And this will be an important thing because, because these things are what you believe when you don't believe anything. It's, a, it's like the default setting for your own faith. It's like when you... Have you ever... You know you, if you go and you buy a cell phone and then someone calls you and it has this, the, the factory default ringtone, you know? and you Because you haven't changed it yet? This is what your flesh default belief is. <laughs> if God is mad at my sin, He's happy with my good works. But these are false. Now, it could be that we don't think that we believe these things. That we, after all, are Christians. And we believe that God saves us by grace through faith alone, not by works that we've done. It could be that we're convinced that we are sinners, that we deserve God's wrath, His temporal and His eternal punishment, and that we are wholly committed to a belief in His mercy that God saves us by divine monergism. That is, He's the only one that does any work to save us, and we don't participate in anything at all. But then Jesus tells the parable from the Gospel, Matthew chapter 20, and all of a sudden our flesh is exposed. That we still have embedded deep inside of us that this belief that we did something to be saved. Watch how it works. Jesus tells a story. There's a vineyard and the owner. And he goes and he hires workers early in the morning. The sun's coming up. The day's ahead of them. And he sends them into the vineyard to work. He goes back three hours later and hires more and they're sent to the vineyard. Then three hours later, that's lunchtime and sends some more. Early afternoon, finds some more. And then finally, uh, there's only working for 12 hours. They go at the 11th hour and he finds some more guys lazing around the marketplace and he ships them to the vineyard and said, pick some grapes. And now they all line up to be paid. Those that started last are lined up first. You know that the worker had, that the, the owner had agreed to the people in the morning that he would pay them a denarii for the day's work. And then the people that worked only for an hour come and they get paid a denarii. Now, you gotta see how this would work, right? I mean, just in any line, in any, any time this would be happening. The guys in the back worked 12 hours, the guys in the front worked one hour, and he hands the guys a denarius for one hour of work. And the guys in the back are thinking, one, two, three, four, twelve denarii, that's two weeks wages. Woo! They've got their cell phones out calling their wives, you know. Go get a bottle of wine and a steak for dinner. We're going to have a big payday today. And th- but then what happens? The guys that work three hours come, and they also get one denarii. 
The guys that work six hours come and they get one denarii. The guys that work nine hours come and they get paid the same. And then the guys that worked all day come and they get paid the same amount of money. And they do exactly what I would do, exactly what you would do. They grumble and they say, how in the world is this? These guys work for an hour and they get paid the same as us. It's not fair. It's not fair. You know who wants fairness? Your sinful flesh. It's there in each one of us. That thing that revolts at this text that says that is not right, that these guys are made the same as those guys, that's your sinful flesh. That's its doctrine. That's its teaching. That if God's mad at your sin, He must be happy with your good works. That's the, 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 the part of you, that the deep down part of you that clings to the idea that you had something to do with your salvation. It can't just be free. It can't just be a gift. It can't be God completely in His mercy giving you what you don't deserve. No, I have to have a little piece of earning a little bit, a little sliver of my own goodness has to sneak in there. You see it? That's wrong. This isn't fair. But the gospel is not fair. If God were in the business of being fair, then Jesus would never be dead and you would never make it to heaven. If God were in the business of being fair, then your sins would still be on you and you would be forever condemned. Hell is what is fair. Damnation is what is deserved for sinners. But God hands over Jesus, his son, not to be fair, but to be gracious, to be good, so that he can give to you the abundance of life and salvation, so that he could give to you gifts that you do not deserve, like your baptism, like his name, like the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. It is not fair that Jesus gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's not fair. But it's good. It's eternally good for us. Listen to the text. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, Those last worked only for an hour, and you have made them equal to us that have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to choose? What I do with what belongs to me? Or, you, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Dear saints, your sinful flesh begrudges the Lord's generosity. It only wants to earn and deserve or to take and to steal. But 
But Jesus, your Jesus, is the one who gives. And he gives freely. In our baptism, we rejoice in that. Jesus gives, which means there's no strings attached. Jesus gives as a gift, which means there's no earning or deserving involved. Jesus, in His generosity, pours out His gifts upon us in full measure, and He holds nothing back. God's name, His Spirit, His adoption, His good pleasure, His kindness, His promises, His overcoming the devil and opening your grave, His life and His salvation and His forgiveness and His kingdom, even Himself with all of His gifts. Nothing is held back, but all is given to us. All is given to you in Christ. His generosity knows no limits. And by faith, dear saints, by faith, we do not begrudge this generosity, but rather we rejoice in it. And in the generosity of Jesus, we find our hope and we find our peace and we find our joy. May, may God, the Lord Jesus, who is abundantly generous to us, continue to keep us in the faith so that we do not begrudge His generosity, but live in it. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.